0: As said in the promo video, Pastor Tiemann's on vacation in Arizona, so you all are stuck with me. So, I was there too. It was great. I got a bit of a sunburn. It was a good time, but yes. But we're continuing today with our sermon series on SCARS, um, this acronym that describes the um, process of forgiveness in our lives. Today we're taking a look at the first letter S. Um, We're taking a look at sin. Now, before we do that though, I want you to turn to your neighbor, turn to your family, turn to someone next to you, I don't know, and ask them this question. If you were known for one thing, what do you think that thing would be? Go ahead. (laughs) I see you. Good. So it's an interesting question when you think about it, when you contemplate what you might be known for, what other people see when they look at you. The good, the bad that we do defines who we are in others' eyes. Now, we will know a lot about this person named Peter in the Bible. A lot of good. And also a lot of bad. In fact, some would argue, and I would agree, that Peter is the only other fully formed character, only fully formed person in the Gospels besides for Jesus. In fact, Peter is referred to almost 200 times in the New Testament. If you look at this graph, you have Jesus. Of course, it's all about him, so he's by far the greatest. Then you have Peter, and then you have all the other accounts of the other 11 up there, the other of the disciples. Peter is a big deal in the Bible. He's more than five times the amount of any other of the individuals among the 12. From the first moment that we're introduced to Peter, he goes by a different name. He goes by the name of Simon. Now, Simon, as the story goes, was on this boat. He was fishing. Now, This was the family business, his call, his whole future before him. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus addresses Peter first as Simon, son of Jonah. Immediately, without doing anything to earn a new name, Jesus declared that Simon would now be Cephas. In Greek, it sounds like Kepha, which is translated as Peter. That new name that Jesus gives to Simon is Peter, which means the rock. I like the fact that Jesus changed Peter's name without him having to do anything about it. Many times when you or when I get it wrong, and we think that God will only love us if we first prove to him that we are perfect, that we're worthy of his forgiveness, some of us go our whole lives fighting for God's approval, but you don't need to do anything to make God loves you. He already does. You might not think that you are special enough for Jesus to call someone like you, but the more you take a look at Peter's story, this random backwater fisherman from the town of Capernaum, turns out that he really didn't stand out that much. In fact, he seems like a very unlikely candidate to become Jesus' best friend. A pastor, who's much smarter than me, named Peter Hamilton wrote this book about Peter, and one thing that he said was this. In the Jewish population, there was a class of people going back hundreds of years before the time of Jesus and Peter. These people were called Am Haaretz. This literally translates to the people of the land. This term has an interesting history, but by the time that Peter was on the scene, that Jesus was around, it meant these people who were poor, they were uneducated, lower class, and particularly people who were not careful in their observance of the law. Acts 4 verse 13 describes Peter as one of these people of the land. He's this unschooled and ordinary man. He didn't go to seminary or college. Probably dropped out of high school. And yet, we have through this ordinary, unschooled man, this man who would become Peter, the rock, the right hand of Jesus. And just as God saw something in Peter, guys, he sees something in you and me too. In fact, Peter in the Gospels can represent all those who follow after Jesus, all those who are his disciples, his followers. And just like Peter, Jesus sees what you can be, regardless of what you've done or what other people have said about you. Now, how many of you guys have ever seen the TV show The Voice? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Got a few. Got a couple. All right. So, it's been one of the most popular TV shows out there for more than a decade now, and for those who haven't seen it, it's this singing competition that has a unique twist to it. So, before this, other talent shows that were on, sometimes it was, you know, how cool a person was that might get them past the judges, or um, if they had a good backstory that might build them up a little bit, and it was less and less about your musical talent, That can't be the case with the voice because the way it would be is that there would be one person up on the stage up front and then there would be this panel of judges that would have their chairs turned away from the contestant. The only thing that the contestant could use to win over the judges was their voice. And when this person would start singing, singing their heart out, that judge, if they were, wanted them on their team to win, to be their coach, to be their mentor throughout this competition, they would hit this red button that says, I want you. This means that the judge is picking the contestant, sight unseen, to be on his or her team. The voice put singing on display and hides away all the rest. For those of you who've seen it, I think we can all agree that this blind audition round that I just described is the best part of the show. After that, it gets kind of a little boring, if I'm being honest. But it certainly makes for good TV. It's intense. It's incredible to see someone singing her heart out for this panel of judges who might or might not choose her and can't even see her. Sometimes all four judges, this panel of four judges, will turn their chairs around. Then these musical legends, um, Blake Shelton was one of them, I don't remember the rest, that's okay. But these musical legends all start arguing and competing over who gets to be this person's coach. But the craziest thing to see is the times when none of these chairs turn around. It's a downright depressing scene, if I'm going to be honest the message is clear, no one wants you. You go back home rejected, back to singing in the shower, maybe the local karaoke bar, your cousin's birthday party, I don't know. But I think though, most of us go through life like these blind auditions. We like to display the best we've got waiting for someone to hit this button of approval. Auditioning our hearts for acceptance and all these judges that we've appointed in our minds. The panel of judges may vary from person to person, but we all have them. Maybe for some it's different coworkers, different bosses, but we're trying to find acceptance from others while hiding the brokenness, the wounds that we have you display the best that you have and hide away the rest. Maybe for you, your parents are in one seat, your siblings. Your boss at your workplace might own another. It's good he's gone. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But will they notice me? Give me the approval, the promotion, the recognition that I deserve. Maybe it's If you're still in school, maybe it's that cool kid in school and you're sitting around just hoping that they'll notice you, bringing you into their group, and that you can have that sense of belonging. Man, if they would just notice me, if they would just compliment me, tell me I have what what it takes. If they would just hit that button. Well, there is one seated on the throne in heaven. And he's not in any old chair. He's in the only chair that counts. And he's already declared to each and every one of you here today, I want you. The only one who has power to give us true approval, acceptance, has already given it to you fully and completely. Before you ever did anything, God had his sights on you. He gives you a new identity. He's seen something in you. And so many of you here today from heaven hear this from before you were born, before you breathed, before you even had the opportunity to show off or screw up. God declared to you that I want you. You're mine. I've chosen you. And he hasn't chosen you blindly, but intentionally, even while knowing you inwardly and intimately, knowing what your past has been, knowing where you are now, knowing what you will do in the future. God declares to you, despite every wound, every broken promise, every bad thing that we do, God says, I want you. It's incredible. But even after receiving grace and a new identity with Jesus, there are still times when we fail to live up to that name that God places on us. Peter had the same problem. Once again, Adam Hamilton also says, um, how could Jesus call Simon a rock? After all, this man was going to blow it consistently. He's less like a rock and more like a reed or a blade of grass, easily moved, swayed, or broken. He misses the point again and again. Peter did a lot of things right. After Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, the text says that immediately Peter followed after Jesus. That was the sort of guy that Peter was. He was all in. Peter became this outspoken leader of the disciples. In any list or story about the disciples, Peter's name is always mentioned first. He was the natural-born leader that was never afraid to speak his mind or make the big move. In fact, Peter, in one of his most famous stories, is the one who had the courage to jump out of the boat and go on walk on water to Jesus. Now, there was another day that Peter really lived up to his new name. Now, as tensions were rising quickly between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of the day, Jesus took the disciples aside in this story. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he said? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And you will bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In this exchange, Peter gets it so right. On this confession of Peter, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus assures him that he will build this church not only on the foundation of Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Son of God, but that Peter, this guy, this Am Haaretz, this ordinary unschooled man, had a special reserved, role reserved for only one person. Jesus is appointing Peter to be the first pastor, the first leader of Christ's church. In a few short years, after answering the call to be a disciple of Jesus, now Peter had become Jesus' right-hand man. We know there were 12 disciples, but Peter was in this inner three with James and John, the sons of thunder. They got even more access and invited into more exclusive things. Put simply, there might not be any other human being in the history of the world that Jesus invested in, entrusted, empowered, and given personal access to like Peter was. Peter had become Jesus' close friend. So now, with all this background, with all this in our minds, Peter is now dining around a table at the Last Supper with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus declares that not only will one of the 12 disciples betray him, which will lead directly to his crucifixion, but they're all going to fall away from him. Our rock, Peter, boldly declares, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. A statement you'd expect from the rock. Peter's not afraid to be outspoken. And if anyone should be a guy to never fall away, it should have been Peter. I love Peter, though. Even in this bold statement to try to say the right thing, he has a way of throwing everyone else under the bus. Even if everyone else in this room falls away, I never will, is what he says. But Jesus answers back to Peter, Truly I tell you, on this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter boldly declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Peter doubles down. I'll die before I deny It's interesting that the phrase, all the other disciples say the same, because the last time I checked, we only hear about Peter's denial. Leaders often will get the blame when all the cameras and all the attention is on them, even if everyone else on the team makes mistakes too. All this to say, nevertheless, Peter, the outspoken disciple, became known for his denials. This wound defined him. Very few stories are captured in all four Gospels. Feeding of the 5,000 is one, baptism of Jesus is another, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus is, of course, another. And Peter, his denial, it's in all of them. Hear this story from Luke's perspective. Then, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just after he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, the rock, Jesus' best friend had flat out denied him when he needed him the most. What's truly striking is our rock, Peter's lack of courage. After all, it was Peter who jumped out of the boat, cut a servant's ear, defending Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, made bold proclamations time and time again. He get the feeling that he was able to stand up to anyone or anything. And here he is, at his first denial, warming his hands by this charcoal fire crumbling to pieces in front of one servant girl. These denials wounded him deeply. He ran out and he wept these bitter tears of regret. Sometimes, even with the best intentions, this world's weight falls on us. And sadly, we make decisions that might feel good in the moment, but wound us in the long run. This is what sin does. We miss the mark, The wound is there, and Peter sinned, badly. We live in a world, in a culture today that likes to tell everyone that they are good exactly the way they are. We celebrate everyone's uniqueness, we encourage them, we tell them, you do you. We are taught to be a fully affirming of each and every person. And there's a problem with this, guys. And it's simple, it's that we're all sinful. Everyone carries wounds in some way. And the worst thing that we could do for one another is to pretend that we're perfect. And so we put these band-aids on these wounded portions of ourselves and try to hide them away. Hoping that no one notices the rot that's happening underneath. And if you're like me, you've been trying to heal your wounds for a long time now to be a better version of yourself for years, decades for some, I'm sure. You thought you wouldn't be struggling with the same sins, the same wounds after all of these years. You're what, 18, 27, like me, um, older, 50, 80, whatever have you. And you're like, why am I still struggling with the same thing I've been struggling with since I was a child? I can't think of anyone in this life that has lied to me or disappointed me more than myself. I don't know if you ever felt that way too. And there's this twisted version of reality that thinks, if I just get better, keep improving, become wealthier, get this better job, then everything will be all right. This version of yourself in your head with the, I don't know, six-pack of abs cash falling out of your pockets, the giant picket house, um, the fancy car, and the kids that are succeeding in everything, it doesn't complete us. You'll find something new about yourself that you just don't like. Why? Because there's still this wound that's there. We still sin. We still mess up. And the last thing we should do for one another as we gather as a church family in worship, is to be fake and to act like we're fully put together. Church, the gathering of all believers in Jesus Christ is not a museum of the righteous. It's not where we're put on display being the best that we can see. It's a hospital for the wounded. So, and so as we look at scars, the first thing we need to do is rip off our band-aids so we can heal those band-aids that say i'm no i'm good just the way that i am no we are not i can see the band-aid on you i can imagine you probably see it on me too so let's stop trying to hide it admit that we are sinners in need of god's grace the admission price to freedom Begins with the admission of your sin. For those of you who picked up the forgiveness challenge, you received these devotional guides as well. You can write um, a goal for yourself throughout this Lenten journey on the back, and I wrote out mine. Um, it says to receive and offer forgiveness every single day. Now, I'll never be able to accomplish this. I'll never be free if I can't admit my weaknesses, my mistakes, and the wounds which mark the course of my life. And if you think I'm being hard on you or if I'm picking on you, I'll start by saying this. Hi, I'm James Kirk, and I'm a sinner. I'm wounded. In the past, I've struggled with lust, with greed, with a lot of pride. I'll go toe-to-toe with any of you at the comparison game. I've been apathetic, indifferent, and quite calloused and harsh. And that's the last thing. The last thing that I want from any one of you guys is to accept me for who I am today with all these flaws, with all these wounds. I'd ask you to please not. Now, I'm not saying you have to be mean to me at the same time, but I reaffirm the good parts, but the totality of me? Of me Please don't, because I'm not okay with who I am today, and I want to get better. Here's the truth, guys. God loves you for who you are, but his love doesn't leave you where you are. Hopefully, as we sit in the sin of Peter this week, this weekend, uh, we'll learn to sit in our own sins as well. Next week, we'll turn to the next letter in the acronym of SCARS the letter of confession and bring those sins to God. But for today, let's just sit in ours. Before today, as we close, I want you to see this, that God has chosen you, not because of your actions of what you've done or will do, but because he loves you. The first step in freedom is to see your need for it. Once again, the admission price of freedom begins with an admission of your sin. But we have a God who isn't afraid of our sin, a God who isn't afraid of our wounds, a God who will enter in even if it cost him his life. And even now, our God is seated on the throne and sees our every sin, our every wound. And he says to you, these great words of comfort. I want you. So rip the Band-Aids off. Answer the call. Come and be healed. Amen.